0: The personal is always political, and the political is always personal. You're tuned in to Poppin' Policies with R. Jordan Davis. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to Poppin' Policies today. This episode will look a little different. I usually will have guests... Come on and talk about a particular topic. But today it is just me in the Situation Room, really speaking candidly to the things that I see in our nation and different events that have occurred over the course of the past few months and just my take on them. So I hope that you all will be engaged. I hope that this will bring forth more um, interaction with the Instagram page, Popping Policies Podcast. Um, So you all can just voice your opinions and your thoughts about the different topics that I bring up and the different events that I bring up on this particular episode. And so I want to start off the conversation with what does it mean to be Black in America? And no, I am not the national spokesperson for every Black person (laughs) in America. But again, like I stated, this is just my personal take and my personal opinion. And I think James Baldwin really... (laughs) <laughs> captures what it's like to be black in America. Um, There's a quote that uh, is from him and it says, to be black and conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. That quote has always just like baffled me. It's truer in 2020. And you would think that he was around talking about Or witnessing some of the things that we are witnessing when he wrote different things and just just so far ahead he was, but not even so far ahead he was, but just how America has stayed the same. America has not changed. And I've, you know, witnessed different speakers and philosophers say that America has a really bad cough. And that cough is racism. And they've used um, cough syrup. They've used cough drops. Um, they've used every kind of suppressant to disguise racism and to make it seem as if it is not a problem. It is not a problem that needs to be checked. It is not a problem that needs to be doctored. Um, but they've used all of these medicines to um, as a as a faux remedy, and the problem still exist. Um, cough syrup only works for so long, but when that cough persists, you're gonna need something stronger. And so it's so funny how, um, when Barack Obama was elected president, our first African-American president, it's so funny how scholars thought that we entered a post-racial uh, society. We have finally arrived to um, the end of racism. And it's so funny because if you watch Becoming, which is an amazing documentary um, that is on Netflix, but um, follows uh, First Lady Michelle Obama, my forever first lady. And it just talks about all the things that she went through and that they went through collectively. And she also brought up the importance of voting. (laughs) How important it was to vote. She really. She said that she felt that it was a slap in the face to um, the progress and the strides that her husband made while in office for people, not people to vote for uh, Donnie, but for people to not vote. It was a slap in the face um, of all of the things that they tried to do in order to push America forward. And she said, you know, those people who did not vote, they hindered her husband from getting the Congress and getting the Senate that he needed to push forward some of those um, monumental bills uh, that needed to be pushed in an effort for us to reach the other side or make ways to reach the other side. And so It's so amazing how um, the things that our ancestors were discussing in novels and in literature, fiction and nonfiction is still very real today. It's still so prevalent today. And so I think that leads to, of course, once again, these public lynchings, of black bodies, right? And lynchings in, what, the 40s, 50s, and 60s were used as a fear tactic. And so I implore you all to read, um, I think it's Brown is the New White. Let me get the author for you all. But it is a great book and it discusses how demographics are changing and how um, we are entering A society uh, that is looking more um, colorful, if you will, um, that is where the majority will no longer be um, white. And I think in this day and age, people are trying to come to terms with that fact. And it's by Steve Phillips. Brown is the New White. How the Demographic Revolution has created a New American Majority. Um, and it's once again, it's by Steve Phillips. and oh, so I think that these events at the expense of black bodies are occurring because of fear. It's a fear that um one group of people will no longer be in the majority, and when you've been in the majority for so long and you feel yourself losing um that momentum, you feel yourself losing. Um, your grip on a nation that you built and that you um, started and that you formed and that you um, developed into what it is today, quote unquote, um, then you you become to be almost belligerent, right? You, you'll do any and everything for that power. And so I think with you know the recent events well not so recent but recently coming out um events of amar arbery are just a signal of that um no matter what he did in the past it I, to me it is not justifiable for someone to do a citizen's arrest and kill an unarmed person a black body as if they were an animal. I I just don't, I don't see how, where the two connect, and they don't to me, honestly. Um, That gives you no reason to just go out, use your weapon, and shoot someone. Um, And I I think about, you know, me and my dad, Um, we walk around a very affluent neighborhood, to be honest. And it is, is usually with a group of, of other, um, people, um, who are white. And I think like, man, if it were just me and my dad, how would, (laughs) how would the neighborhood react? Like what type of fear would we put our, what type of position would we put ourselves in if it were just us? And I'm like, wow, like I, we could be Ahmaud Arbery. It became very real for me. Um, but it also became an eye opener, eye opener to me as to how white people can leverage their privilege, right? And so a lot of times it's very comfortable to stay silent. It's very comfortable to kind of just gloss over it, scroll over it, and not really make mention. But I just want Um, those of you who are white to use your privilege, use, I know it's uncomfortable. I know when you're used to being in a position of power, like speaking up is uncomfortable, but I, I believe because (laughs) I like to, to think of myself as harmonious. I would like to think that if we, if we come together, (laughs) if we come together and we amplify all voices, I feel like we could really make some waves. I really do. Um, and then Brianna Taylor in Kentucky. She's not getting, her story is not getting the same attention. If you're not familiar, Brianna Taylor um, was in an apartment um, or in her home, and the police did a, a raid um, of the wrong home, and um, she was shot. As a result of it. I believe eight times. And this is not new. This is not new. Um, Brother Gene. I can't remember his first name. Um, but this happened to him. This happened to him. Like what? Maybe three years ago? If that. This happened September 6 2018. Botham Jean, And here we are faced with the same. Incident the same scenario of this police officer this law enforcement officer coming into the wrong house and shooting someone now the difference with him was the off duty officer thought that it was her house and went into it and shot now with Brianna <clears throat> this was an actual raid that they were doing on a on a suspect and had the wrong house and shot her eight times. This happened in Kentucky, y'all. And so I just want to know, like, when will officers start to take responsibility for their malpractice? There's only so many times where you can say, oh, my bad. And it's so funny how up my bad is acceptable when the other person at the end of the barrel is black. I just, it baffles me. It baffles me sometimes. And as a Christian, like I grapple with like, God, do you not see this? Like, what is going on? And I'm a huge proponent of not staying in a funk, right? And it's very easy for us to get in this funk, get in a funk and not get out of it, and so I'm gonna look up, trying to look up the the verse. I think it's Habakkuk one. Yep, Habakkuk one, two, and four. Now I studied this with um, a small group, and this was brought to us by the small group leader. And it shocked me because I was like, wow, this is (laughs) this is how I'm feeling. So I'm going to go read. Go ahead and read it. So Habakkuk one, two verses two through four, it says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So we see this complaint, right, in Habakkuk, this lament. And they're like, do you not see what's going on? Do you not, do you not care? And I think a lot of times we can get like that, right? We can ask God, do you not see what's going on? Do you not care? But my small group leader mentioned like, God looks at injustice every day. Yeah, we see it in these spur moments, you know, that when it comes on the news, but God sees evil every day. And it's so funny, Um, the Lord's answer comes after that. And I I encourage you to to look at this for yourself. Uh, The Lord says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. We have to know for those of us who are believers, we have to know that something is going to happen that will be aligned with God's character. God is going to be the righteous one that he says he is. God is going to be the justice, the God of justice that he says he is. He says, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe. And so I have to to put my hope in that. I have to put my hope in the promises of God, right? That justice will come that I will see justice in the land of the living, that I will see righteousness done in the land of the living, that we will not see injustice. (laughs) I always end the podcast with learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. God is a God of action. He doesn't empower us to just sit and not mobilize. Learn, seek, defend. Those Those are words that require movement. And so if I believe in the God of movement, then I believe that justice will come, that he is a vindicator, that he is a righteous God, right? And so with all of the events that are happening, I have to remain confident in that as a believer. I have to remain confident in what the Bible says about justice and how it will be done because time... To me, it's not time to God. So, even with those things that are just bogging me down, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't bear to take it anymore, I'm confident that I will see justice in the land of the living. I'm confident that I will see justice prevail in my lifetime. And then also, I just want to highlight and uplift this story because I don't think it's getting enough attention. Um, Tyree Hudson, he was a recent graduate of North Carolina A&T and had moved to Baltimore to start a new job, I think in computer science. And apparently he had a confrontation with one of his neighbors and he went to a judge and asked for... Um, a order of protection, a peace order, and was denied. And um, about a couple of months after the denial, he was killed by his neighbor. And so once again, you have people, white people, taking, <laughs> taking this sphere approach to handle their internal sin of racism their internal sin of hatred. And we have to, white and black people, we have to amplify that this is wrong, that we are better than, well, I can't say we're better than this because this is innately in our, in the fabric of America, honestly. Racism is interwoven into the fabric of the American quilt. And so I would hope that as people of 2020 with more knowledge, more awareness, we would be better than this. But honestly, I have to catch myself and say, okay, what has the past been like? But then I'm also like, it took movements for us to to inch and inch and inch. And so we're going to have to keep mobilizing. We're going to have to keep organizing. We're going to have to keep voting. I'm always going to be a huge proponent of voting. Like I said, First Lady Michelle Obama in the documentary Becoming, again, if you have not watched it, please watch it. It's so good. Talked about the importance of voting. But she also talked about how um, it's easy for Black people to be angered with the system because you see people with less intelligence rise higher. And she gave her grandfather as an example. I'm not gonna spoil it any further than that, but it's a great it's a great documentary, and I learned so much from it. But I would again, I would like to think. That we have progressed, but it's really going to take action. You can't have faith and not have action. So while my faith and my hope is in the promises of God, I still have to act in a way. In a way that reflects. The image of God. If I follow him right. Right. And so I, I can't go and tit for tat. I can't go and be belligerent as well, right? We have to fight this thing out. That is not in the same, in the same manner of hatred and vitriol. Because Martin Luther King says, hate cannot drive, drive out hate, only love can do that. And so I think love has to permeate. I think that's, that's when the mind shift starts to, to happen where well, we don't see it as a competition for power, for wealth. But that that's the downfall of living in a capitalistic society. We chase after, Americans chase after wealth and power and those people who block, quote unquote, because black people and brown people aren't really blocking <laughs> blocking the the gateway to power and wealth but when it appears of this blockage we cannot they cannot instantly go to fear they cannot instantly go to violence and maybe we can have that conversation we can have a a, a racial dialogue but I I just I don't know. This is, again, this is what I'm going through. These are my daily minds. This is how I process different things because it can be mentally draining. On top of COVID-19, seeing these different things, seeing these public, public lynchings, these public modern day lynchings, it can be very draining. It can be very draining. But I want to be a source of inspiration to you all that we have to act collectively and I don't know what that action looks like listen I'm not an organizer but I do feel like that I I do feel I do feel that I am a connector I am a bridge and If you all have ways to kind of rectify or start this this organizing and this action-moving process, let me know. I think first it starts with dialogue. I think there is just... (laughs) It's a tale of two cities almost. If one person has never experienced how another person is feeling or what they've been through or what they've gone through it's harder it's harder to connect and so I think dialogue is the first option but again if you have ways in which to engage through this platform if you want to engage in this platform in that dialogue let me know i would love to i would love to have that on here I think this would be a great platform for that. I honestly do. So I think that's it for me. (laughs) I think that's it for me. I hope you all enjoyed this unplugged episode. This was fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my thoughts and how I process these tragic events i am imploring you i have some extremely intelligent and competent people who follow the podcast so i am asking you to please reach out to me so that we can come up with a game plan on how to rectify these issues i know that it is not something that can be rectified in a year five years ten years but i hope that we really progress as a society so that when i am older um, I'll be able to say that I made a difference and I left the world better than how it was. Um, and so if you're interested in teaming up with me around that work, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you enjoyed this episode again, please let me know and please feel free to follow the podcast on Instagram at Poppin Policies Podcast or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at IMR Jordan. For more updates on podcast episodes and their air dates, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. See you next time on Popping Policies with R. Jordan Davis.